The voice of Husker Nation is on the air. This is Hale Varsity Radio. Insight, opinion, expertise, along with the biggest names talking Nebraska sports. Join in with the show at 402-489-1240 or 1-800-825-5865. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt and Elijah Herbel. Here comes Casey from a double stagger, puts it up on the way. Got it! Got it! Got it! Got it! <laughs> 34 to 30, Nebraska by four. Casey Tominaga. Hoiberg! The other way! Lays it up and off the window! Sammy Hoiberg! How about those Huskers? How about the Huskers? It's a three. Got it! Sammy, my boy! Hoiberg with a three! Nine point for an Husker lead! As Mark Hoiberg drives the ball, reverse layup on the left hand. Oh my goodness! Circus shot! Absolutely! Circus shot by Sammy Hoiberg! What a game by Boyberg. Huskers up 11. 41 to 30. Right hash mark. CJ. Got it! Got it! Got it! CJ Wilcher. Double figures with 10. Huskers jump out on top by 8. The crowd back on their feet here at the vault. Here's an intercepted pass by Hoiberg. Hoiberg layup. Good! Sam Hoiberg. He's got Tominaga coming to it. Hides chasing him. Fires and scores. It unbelievable. Unbelievable three by Casey Tominaga. Get this ball in bounds. Let this let this crowd storm the floor, baby. Gillis into Braden Smith. Five, four, three, two, one. And for the first time in 41 years, Nebraska knocks off the top-ranked team in the country, and they are storming the floor. They are storming yeah, the floor. They are storming the floor. Love it. Love it. your name, Fred Hoiberg. There's your signature win. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio. Uh, that is Kent Pavelka, the excellent Kent Pavelka, the immortal Kent Pavelka, Jake Milheisen, friend of the show. Uh, we can just loop that for the next hour 55, and you'll still have the hair on your arm standing up. What a ball game. What a win. What a takedown uh, by Nebraska of number one Purdue. Husker basketball, that bandwagon's beyond standing room only. Going to need more of a bandwagon. And Big Red gets it done. Kudos to Elijah. Uh, I'm going to owe him a side of beef at this rate for my steak and beer bets. I didn't think Nebraska could do it. They did it, and you loved it at PBA last night. Open phones for you here at 489-1240 with Hale Varsity Radio. Guys, we'll dive into the win, the uh, the upset, the, the throttling, quite frankly, uh, of Nebraska and uh, – Purdue, pretty incredible. We'll check in with Mike Babcock. He's seen a lot of Husker basketball and some Husker football news in the transfer portal. A plug-and-play offensive lineman. We'll chat with Evan Bland about that. Husker wrestling, Nebraska, Iowa, Friday. Mark Manning joins us at 525. And then a jock talk. Fellas, how we doing? Before you answer, let's get the roll call. Our starting five here at Hale Varsity in the stream. The Hale Varsity YouTube channel is where you can check us out. 
also on Hale Varsity Radio Twitter at HVarsity Radio. Mike checks in. Brennan from the Black Hills in second. Anthony uh, in third. Roger four. Eric rounds it out. Our starting five, and then uh, uh, we shout out uh, to Brandon. He uh, sneaks in at sixth, and uh, Dion seven. So we've extended the bench a little bit. But how you feeling? I filmed a lot of the storming. Me and uh, hundreds of my uh, fellow PBA friends. Elijah Herbal lived the mosh pit. Connor Clark, you're with us on the stream. Uh, I bet you uh, were. were just feeling it as well, as long as a, of a basketball fan as you have been. What a moment for Nebraska basketball. I mean, last night was something that I don't think I ever saw coming. I'm in the same boat as you, Schmitty. I did not see Nebraska winning that game. It was the questionable status of Bryce Williams for me. I thought that was, you know, a little bit too much. Maybe that puts Purdue over the edge advantage-wise, but... I think Nebraska played as close to a great game as you could, and that, that's what needed to happen last night, and that's exactly what happened last night. I mean, the team shot the three ball well. They shot the ball well in general. They made their shots count at the free throw line. A lot of hustle plays. I think arguably Juwan Gary and Sam Hoiberg had some of the most valuable minutes on the team last night, and I know they didn't lead the team in scoring, but just some of the plays that they were able to make last night – It was unbelievable watching it all the way over here in Illinois. The only bad thing about last night is, man, I wish I was in the building for that because it looked absolutely phenomenal. Can't believe that happened. And that is a separator in March. This team, barring it stays healthy, is an NCAA tournament team. And I think I can say that pretty confidently. It says that, Elijah, uh, you didn't need a helmet, didn't need a mouthpiece. Uh, It was a friendly court storming. I mean, there were people packed in, but no, I don't think anyone left that court storming bumped and bruised. Unless you were in the middle with Josiah Alec giving you chest bumps. He was pretty aggressive in the the center from what I saw on video. (laughs) I didn't get that close. I I was a late arriver a little bit to the court storming. I wasn't one of those people that was racing across the court and going, you know, full (laughs) chest bump with somebody else going full speed from the other way. I wasn't that far for, for... Transparency's sake, I was uh, gifted some some free tickets. Thank you to Will Wilson, morning hookup here on KFOR. His parents weren't going. He texted me, and we were talking on the show yesterday. I said, oh, no, the game's on Peacock. I don't know how I'm going to watch it. Luckily, Will to the rescue sent me a text. Hey, if you're not going, I got two tickets Why for you. you got 50 bucks? <laughs> it was free, so thank you. To nice. The, That's thank the biggest you, favor ever. Thank you to the Wilson family. Uh, they allowed me to see that. We're up on the, the 200 level, uh, me and my buddy Alex. And with four minutes left, uh, Kise hits that three-pointer under four media timeout, and I say, we're going down. We're going to find our way into that lower bowl. <laughs> and there was a, a nice gentleman who let us sit in the, uh, the two empty seats on the end of his row for the final couple minutes of that game. And then as soon as the buzzer hit, we're racing down the aisle, uh, hopping over a railing, getting down on the court, entered on the side over by the Purdue bench. I would like to note for Coach Matt Painter, there was plenty of of security personnel keeping the fans away from the Purdue team. So I don't think they were ever in very much danger. There's an inherent slight danger that comes with court storming. I don't think they were in danger. The the Husker security and, and staff down the floor did a very good job keeping the Purdue team away from the fans. But it's not many times in your life you get to experience a court storming. I made sure to make it down into the lower bowl. I, uh, I hopped a railing, got to experience that, put a picture up on my Twitter, and then was, uh, was out of there. It was very hot down on the floor. 
and uh, the people were very excited, rightfully so. Uh, a win that goes down in Husker basketball memory, at least my lifetime, is mm-hmm. probably the biggest. No sit Sundays right there, too, because of its importance to get into the tournament. But to take down the number one team in the country on your floor, that that was special. Timing is everything, and no sit Sundays, right? The, the final 10 days of the season, right? Frank, the tank and company come in for Wisconsin. You'd already had a win at Michigan State, top 10 Michigan State that year with Tim Miles. You follow it up, you bookend it before the big uh, wow. Big 10 tournament, and, and you get Frank, the tank. I'm and seeing what you're seeing a lot. A quick note here. We'll come back to this <laughs> later in the show. Breaking news one minute ago from Bruce Feldman. Uh, Coach Nick Saban has informed the Alabama football team that he is retiring effective immediately. Okay. Uh, This also from Chris Lowe. Chris Lowe and Bruce Feldman, uh, both on this news. Wow. So we'll get back to that later in the show. That's a bombshell. That is Nick Saban saying goodbye and Pete Carroll walking away from Seattle. And Nebraska takes down top seed right now in the NCAA tournament, Purdue. In not even, I mean, it was dramatic with the way Nebraska responded. But it was uh, an AK uh, by Nebraska when you look at the, the, the number. You win by 16 points. Let's talk about that moment. A guy that really paced Nebraska on offense and went right at the reigning national player of the year was Rink Mast. I love how he was able to kind of get his offense going, was annoying in his own words early on against uh, Edie down low. I think the barometer for this basketball team is Jawan Gary. I think Owan, as his teammates call him, if if he's active and aggressive and playing with passion, you've seen in Nebraska's wins this year, his ability to score, his ability to defend, his ability to, to, to do the dirty work uh, has come through. Indiana, uh, Michigan State, and again last night, that, that floor dive early Really juiced up PBA. It was incredible. Sam Hoiberg is the shot of energy every time he comes off the bench, especially at home for Nebraska basketball fans and his teammates. He's saying in Wiltshire, you want to let's take these two fellas to the craps table. They are on the mother of all heaters uh, from beyond the arc. It, it's been incredible. But here's Rink. Uh, he talks about the moment. Uh, did so last night, and he really, big-time competitor, super composed, uh, and they are proud of what they did. But guys, as they're sitting up at the podium in the post game, they're all ready to move on to Iowa. They want to not be a one-hit wonder. They'll have this forever in their back, back pocket that they took down number one, but there's more work to do. Here's Rink on last night's moment. I mean, it doesn't get much much bigger than this one. Like, you played number one team, uh, reigning national player of the year. Um, I just see that as a challenge. And uh, luckily, the, the shots were going in in the beginning and gave the team a little spark. And every everybody started believing, hey, there's, there's something there today. So, I mean, yeah, rise to the moment. Uh, I think everybody did that today. That they did. It was incredible. And growing up, I've had a chance to see a lot of Nebraska basketball. My golden era, many Nebraska fans, golden era, that, that knee run of tournaments, uh, the, the teams that, that Coach Jeff Smith uh, was an assistant on with Pikowski and Chubbuck and Badgett, uh, Mikey Moore, Strick. I mean, just some incredible players that went to 
four straight NCAAs. The, the, the bookend was Lou and, and our dear friend Andy Markowski, uh, that, that last tournament pre-Miles. And Nebraska was almost bulletproof at, at the Bob Devaney Sports Center against the who's who, Kansas, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, Missouri. They'd all come in one, one time or another with single digits next to their name. And it, they, they may have ended up number one or made it to a Final Four. But this is different. This hits different because of how it happened for Nebraska, how they responded uh, to Purdue's push in that second half, guys. And quite honestly, the way they're able to 180 this thing, 180 by, you still, and rightfully so, had questions about them after Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin's Elite Eight good. We'll burn that tape if I'm wrong. Uh, but Nebraska looked the part last night against a team in Purdue that really had no answers. I mean, they were they were befuddled by Nebraska's energy and intensity defensively. Then you factor in Nebraska's elite shot making. That's incredible. I think Nebraska, they can keep doing this. Uh, I'll talk to you Friday about how I'm going to bet it. I don't know. What's your trust level like? You ready to say I do to this team? I mean, at I think home. It, in, at the, home. In, the, in the Yeah, at home. But for them, they still, God, and I sound like such a, yeah, but wait, guy. It's the Husker PTSD? No, it is. But uh, you still need to see see it on the road more times than not. Right? Well, I think the next two games, which are on the road, may I add? Yeah, it's it's are, Iowa City and Rutgers. Games. They're totally winnable, but they're also losable. Fair? I think that's a fair take. I think honestly, Rutgers is more losable than the Iowa one, uh, just because Rutgers has been so good at the rack this year. But I mean, this is a team that, and you you kind of mentioned it earlier, Schmitty, about the word response. And I think you could take that and put it into maybe even four different parts over the last three or four days. The response from the loss at Wisconsin, right? The response to Mason Gillis lighting it up early in the game. The response to the run that Purdue made at the start of the second half made it a one-point game. I mean, all of that, and you mentioned Purdue didn't really have an answer for that. Every single time that the Boilers made a run last night, there was a counterpunch that was 10 times harder for Nebraska. So I think you have to give a ton of credit to Nebraska for that. That gives me a lot of confidence in this team going forward. Are they going to win every game that they see? Obviously not. It's the Big Ten Conference. Anything can happen. You saw that last night. But I think that response factor that this team has you know, been able to develop gives you a lot more confidence than you maybe would have before. And I think the next two games are winnable. To your point, they're also losable. But if they are able to stack some wins, you come home against Northwestern. I don't want to get ahead of myself. I'm just saying. A win like last night lets you get ahead of yourself a little bit. It's like, come on. They they beat the number one team in the country by 16 points. How could I not? And I'd just like to add here, maybe my my boldest take of this first segment. Any game that Nebraska shoots 61% from behind the arc, I think they have a pretty good chance of getting it done, as evidenced by last night. Doesn't matter who they're playing. 61% from behind the arc, while is a, uh, a bit higher than expected. It didn't feel like an exceptional three-point shooting night from Nebraska. It felt really good, don't get me wrong, but it didn't feel like something that was so out of character 
that they've been doing it. Yeah, I mean, they, they did it against Indiana. They did it against Michigan State, right? They, 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 have, they have the extremely well. A, a team shooting 61% hard to replicate, but they have the shooters to put together some really, really high three-point shooting numbers. And I, it's, it's hard to call that a recipe for success moving forward, 61%. But they have the shooters to get it done with a really, really good clip behind the arc. They have the offense either in rank or the kick out to compete and score. It's going to come down to their defense. Do they replicate that energy like they brought with them to K-State, like they did have against Indiana? They can flip a switch. That switch was on all night against Purdue. It just wasn't at Wisconsin. Mike Babcock's with us next. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. Lots to get into today. Celebration across Husker Nation with the Husker basketball squad rolling number one Purdue. Mike Babcock with us from Hale Varsity and Heard at Sports. Babbers, we've got some things to tackle, bud. Uh, Nebraska v. Purdue, Nick Saban's swan song. And uh, in addition to the offensive line, you've seen a lot of Nebraska basketball, Mike. You've seen uh, this team and uh, the runs they've made in past years. What did you make of last night, and uh, how uh, portable is it as we look towards the season for, well, Nebraska maybe being able to put on some dancing shoes for the first time in a decade? Well, I think that uh, I was uh, shocked by the, uh, by the upset. Uh, but as I watched the game, I, you know, I, the, as aggressive as Nebraska was and as gritty as Nebraska was, um, I was more optimistic as they began, as they began the second half. And then you had that run and then they responded to that. Um, I, I just, you guys mentioned it earlier, but every time Purdue did something, Nebraska responded had the ability to respond. And I think that was uh, the thing that I came away with that and the way things were distributed among players, you know, everybody contributed. Um, It was a team effort. There's no question about that. Um, You know, uh, Bryce Williams, 11 rebounds, nine assists. I mean, that's the kind of play that you need to get from him. Uh, And, and four, four guys in double figure scoring, could have been six. Um, think, <laughs> no, go ahead. I say it could have been six. They were an eyelash yeah. away from six. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you need that kind of balance. Just says a lot, I think, about uh, about what Nebraska can do. And I, I was just, you know, now how do you come back off of that, off of the energy of that win? Can you translate that energy into the next game, which is on the road, which is at Iowa, um, or is there a fall off because sometimes that's what happens when you come through an emotional experience like that. But, but I'm hoping and figuring that maybe it'll be a, a, an energy that will carry over to the road game. 
Mike, whenever you, you look at, at Kise, his performance last night, where does he rank in your mind in terms of fan favorites with Husker basketball? Because whenever CJ was hitting some shots down the stretch, yeah, it was loud in there, but it means something else whenever Kese hits one. Yeah, yeah, he's really uh, he's really popular, and I think it's the part of it is the confidence. For one thing, it's his ability to hit three pointers. You know, that's the defining shot now—the guy that can hit the three point shots consistently, and he can hit them from, you know, it, like he step on the floor in the arena, and it seems like he can hit a three point shot. He, there's no situation where, uh, certainly across the mid court line. Once he's open, he can put it up and, and make that shot. And I think that the, just the energy that he brings and his ability to hit those three-point shots uh, puts him uh, among the uh, uh, tops and fan favorites. Mike Babcock is with us on Hill Varsity Radio. And just to think about last night, Mike, real quick, the first place my mind went to was the first couple of years of Fred Hoiberg. This team was winning seven games. Now, I know it's not the same players, but it's the same program. So how do you wrap your mind around the turnaround that's happened over the last four and a half years or so? Um, you know, it's it's dramatic um, what's happened here now. Um, but, I, but I think that there was a plan. You know, people are like, well, he's not getting the job done. You know, let's let's start looking in another direction. Um, but, I, but I think he had a plan, and, and I think he's gotten the right players um, through transfers and so forth, um, to to do the to to do the things that he wants done to fit the system that he wants to apply, and uh, I think you're seeing the results of that now. I think that's uh, again, you know, patience is not something that uh, people have these days. You know, it's like um, a couple of years and uh, well, things are not getting done. Let's move on. Um, you got to have some patience. And uh, I think if you do have some patience, uh, I think that's it, it's going to pay off if you have the right coach. I think they have the right coach in basketball. I think the same thing applies to Matt Rule in football. You have to have a little bit of patience in order for him to get the pieces in place to get his program where he wants it to be. And uh, also, um, you get him storming the court with his uh, with his cell phone uh, ready and and uh, with uh, Trev Alberts and I think. Uh, Maverick's daughter, right? Uh, that says a lot. This is a pretty awesome scene. My, Mike, uh, I want to shift away from hoops for two seconds and your reaction to, to Nick Saban's news of retiring, stepping away at the age of 72. I know there was a lot of crossover, a lot of, a lot of blueprint from uh, his time at Alabama and even Michigan State Saban really close with with Coach Osborne and Coach McBride. Yeah, you know those. Uh, we've told this story before, probably, but those two Michigan State games where Nebraska just hammered the Spartans, and uh, you know Osborne talked to him after the the first one and and said, uh, you know, you're not as not as bad as this. And I think from that point on, they've been had they've had kind of a, a relationship in in the sense of you know, doing things in a similar way for Saban. And uh, it, it, on one level, it doesn't surprise me because he's 72 years old and probably looks at uh, it, it, it's kind of time to, to do that. Um, but, 
anytime you have a, a an icon like that step down, it's a it's a surprise. Same way with uh, Pete Carroll um, taking a an advisory role and not coaching it, uh, the the Seahawks anymore. Um, those are both things that surprise me, even though I can understand maybe um, the reasoning behind it. And, and dare I say, Mike, I mean, you kind of made the point there. Was Nebraska and Michigan State, was that the worst loss of Nick Saban's career? I think in a roundabout way, you could argue if it wasn't for Tom Osborne in Nebraska, Nick Saban in the dynasty at Bama may have never been. Well, I think that it, it certainly, um, you know, one of the things that I remember uh, Saban saying after that first first loss, um, you know, if, if, the, if he didn't have the players that were willing to do what needed to be done, then he'd, he'd get rid of them. You know, that he was, I mean, he was pretty aggressive in his comments afterward, but his his comments included, you know, what Osborne had told him. And I think that was really a, I think that was really important at that point, you know, because there's his first game as head coach at Michigan State, and they just get drilled. And then the next season, it's not much better. Um, maybe even been a bigger disparity. I can't remember the exact scores, but I do remember that uh, uh, that was a big part of it. He still talked about it years later in interviews. He talked about the influence that Osborne had in simply saying what he said after those games. Mike, uh, the names here for the next head coach of Alabama, Dan Lanning, of course, uh, Kirby Smart disciple and did really great work at Oregon. Kalen DeBoer's name's coming up for the Seahawks. It's coming up for Alabama. He's a tremendous coach at Washington. And then uh, the old walk-on, that Gene Stallings put on scholarship that did pretty well in Clemson, Dabo Sweeney. Yeah, what um, the names, those are not surprise names, right? Um, what, I don't know. I, I think it's too early to say, you know, maybe some, maybe there'll be another name that'll pop up at some point or, you know, they'll do their due diligence, no question. And that's an that's a, obviously an attractive job. On the one hand, uh, Saban was making what eleven million a year. Uh, yeah, the new coach probably not going to get that much money, but um, it's an attractive job. But it also comes with a tremendous amount of expectation. You know, can you imagine stepping in for for Nick Saban? This is what Osborne said. Uh, you know what it was like following Bob Devaney. You know. Uh, Devaney's success at Nebraska uh, turns out he was a Hall of Fame coach. How difficult it was, and Tom even went to the point of applying for a couple of other jobs. Uh, Augustana uh, was one of them. Then when Nebraska went to the uh, uh, bowl game in uh, uh, Texas, what was the Sun Bowl? Was it in '69? Uh, Tom went over and interviewed for. Uh, for a job there, down there. Um, Texas Tech. Texas Tech job, yeah. He interviewed for the Texas Tech job, even though Bob Devaney had already said, hey, I want you to succeed me when I decide that it's time to step aside. He told him that in 1968, coming back from the Kansas State game. Um, so following Nick Saban is going to be a really difficult, great expectations task and if you go in there and you're 11 and one the first year, people are 
maybe they'll accept that, or maybe they'll expect 12 and 0. And you know, certainly you've got to be in the playoffs so that we'll expand it to to 12 teams. So um, those have to be taken into consideration, I think, um, when you're looking at who might step in there. And there's one name that just keeps on coming to mind for me. Doesn't have a job right now. Oh, I'm, don't know. Really? You're gonna, are you serious? No. no, I'm not going to where, I, where you think I'm going. <laughs> Brian Ferentz, welcome to the Tide. That's worse than the name I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. I think Schmidt and I were thinking of the same Oh, guy. I know exactly who you're thinking of. <laughs> who now, are you thinking of? What was it? I'm, I'm thinking he's two under right now in Scottsdale on, on the golf course. <laughs> and not Gary Barnett. No. No, no not no. Gary. Uh, last thought, Mike. Uh, you look at Nebraska, and uh, they go portaling again, and uh, they're able to land a, a, a pretty talented transfer in Makuza, uh Florida lineman. Uh, spent some time at Baylor and kind of a plug-and-play option. We got about 60 seconds. Do you like the pickup? Um, yeah, it looks like he's an aggressive guy. and looks like he can get <laughs> your, the job done. Your tone, your tone there is beautiful. <laughs> an aggressive guy. <laughs> um, Just the right amount. Yeah, well, I think anything, any help you can get, I, because I think the offensive line is really important to what Matt Rule wants to get accomplished on offense, and you've got to be able to – protect the quarterback, and you've got to be able to open some holes to be able to establish a running game. So you can't have too many offensive linemen, I think, and uh, create some competition there and fill in some spots. Mike Babcock, subscribe to him with Hurt at Sports, his biweekly newsletter, MikeB at HurtAtSports.com. Send Babbers an email, and can find him, of course, with uh, Hale Varsity. And we love checking in with you on Wednesdays, Babbers. Take care, be good, and stay warm, all right? I'll, I'll do that. I'm no candidate for the Alabama job. Even, that, that's not maroon Babbers is wearing. Way to squash those rumors now. All right, Babbers, take care, buddy. Thank you so much. See you guys. Hail Varsity Radio is live. Now, back to Schmitty. Schmitty's a great guy, but he don't have a brain. And Elijah. You want me to speak? When I point you, yeah. On Hail Varsity Radio. Thanks for spending time at Hail Varsity. We're powerred by Cornhead Lager, Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, Connor Clark. Still smiling if you're a Nebraska fan, Nebraska basketball fan, knocking down Purdue. What's Matt Painter say about court storming? As he uh, let the topic have it last night, we'll get there in a little bit. The news, Nick Saban retiring from Alabama. Where do you go? Our dear friend Brennan from the Black Hills checks in, and, and he prefaces this by saying, hypothetical incoming, if Bama comes knocking for rule, do you go? And I say this, if Matt Rule had been in Lincoln earlier, or had had a better season one, or... Didn't have a five-star quarterback waiting in the wings. Right. You, yeah. I mean, Matt Rule's track record says he'll win for you. Uh, Right now, uh, in in Kevin Steele's retirement, I didn't think anything of it last week when he retired. I just didn't. Because, you know, Kevin Steele's mid-60s, and he's been to 100 places, and he's been great. He's been a, a... pillar for great programs to resurrect wherever they've been wherever he's been they've won right they've won championships nebraska with osborne uh clemson uh my not miami he was there for a year and 
then left it, you know, three or four tours at Alabama, one at Auburn. Uh, that's that's Kevin Steele. But with Saban, this name, and Scott threw it out there in the stream. You're welcome to comment and join us on the stream. Hail Varsity YouTube channel, Hail Varsity Radio, Twitter at HVarsity Radio, 489-1240. Urban Meyer. Urban will probably try and get his name out there in it. But, man, uh, he's still 57, 58 years old. Urban's got a great track record of going to ready-made former winners. And right now with NIL and everything, you've got to keep a bunch of players you just signed, Elijah, happy. Uh, keep them there. I, if, you're, if you're betting man, are you going to bet Sweeney? That'd be, that'd be where I go. I would bet Dabo. And I think Dabo's probably felt a little underappreciated in Clemson the last couple of years. I'm, th- I'm thinking of the coaches that have been at the top of their game, have been a little underappreciated. Dabo's one. Ryan Day. I think Ryan Day could be looking to leave the Ohio State University. I'm not sure he makes a whole bunch of sense from Bama's point of view, but uh, he has the I think, I think Ryan. I think Ryan Day's next move is the NFL. I think so. But if Bama comes knocking. Same pressure cooker in, in a – but you don't have to play Michigan every single year. Well, you, you might. <laughs> Playoffs now 12. But, there you go. I look at landing at Georgia and that, or at Oregon, that makes some sense. Do they go, does Kirby leave Georgia? But it also feels like a great time for Oregon to really take care of Dan Lanning and make sure he doesn't yeah. you don't want this. You don't jump. want the third time being the charm if you're Oregon and Uncle Phil? Exactly. So I don't know about all that. Seen a lot of Lane Kiffin in the chat, too. Ooh. I think that would be a, a a breaking case of emergency. Is is Lane, for Alabama like oh Kirby Dabo Ryan Day, Pete Carroll Lanning have all said no? Then you go to Kiffin. I don't know if he would leave Ole Miss though. Would he? Oh, he'd leave Ole oh, Miss. Uh, Ole Miss. He is, almost left Ole Miss last year. Yeah, he leave, every chance he gets, his agent gets him another two million dollars every year. Ole Miss is that's just called good leverage, near and dear to Elijah's heart. <laughs> I don't. I wouldn't but, want him to leave Ole but, Miss. I think he's great there. I I'm a huge is, Lane Kiffin fan. So. I, I think he is too. But does Lane Kiffin want to just kind of be stuck at eight and four? Do they do they have a playoff possibility right now? Sure. I mean, one, but, one one thing that I know about my time going down to Ole Miss is it's a great setup, but it is not the destination. It's, it's still not. It's not Bama. It's not Bama. Like at the end of the day, Ole Miss they have a lot of money that goes through that school. They don't have as much in terms of athletic donations as you would think. For as well as they do in the portal, you'd think, oh, they must have all this NIL money in the back pocket. They really don't do as well with with Mm -hmm. athletic donations. There's a reason there's so many streets in Oxford named after the Mannings. The Mannings have taken care of Oxford and the Ole Miss football program for a while. Outside of them, like the notable boosters Ole Miss has, not quite there. Ole Miss isn't the destination you might think of it to be. I like Lane. There's, There's so many Saban protégés that there are options who's on the line bruce is on the line with us bruce thanks for calling go for it hey guys what let's throw another iron in the fire we're at the big sabers what about uh harbaugh not staying at michigan he hasn't signed his contract yet that's that's kind of been the game i think he wants to um either make them pay for cutting his salary in half about four years ago or he's 
He's hard set on the NFL. The, the, the problem with Harbaugh, and if you're insinuating maybe he's an option for Bama, is the fact that he has such deep ties to Michigan, being an athlete there, just winning the national championship. Yeah, he wouldn't, I think he wouldn't it, leave Michigan for Bama. He, he either leaves for the NFL or he doesn't leave at all. Yeah, it's kind of where I'm at. He's, go, he's going to San Diego. Los Angeles. That's one in the swear jar. But we all wish yeah. it was still San Diego. <laughs> I think including the Chargers organization. Well, now that the Bears are out on him, too, I think the probability of him staying at Michigan grows a little bit. But maybe that's just me. Just cause again, I think he's gone, dude. Well, if he's got the ties to Michigan and wouldn't leave, I mean, he had the ties to the Bears. You, that's th- like what this I'm This is the high note you walk out on if you're Harbaugh. That is true. Saban was just a, uh, a bad snap away from playing for another, t- another title. Bruce, thanks for the phone call. Think about this coaching cycle, NFL and college. How silly it's truly gotten. Saban means Bama's open. Harbaugh, NFL, maybe Michigan becomes open. Uh, Pete Carroll steps down at Seattle today. What else is next? Dare we ask? Nebraska beats Purdue. Pretty cool. Pigs are, pigs are going to be flying soon. I think so. Yep. Can can we hear Matt Painter whining about court storming? Uh, it wasn't just specifically directed at Nebraska. It's the topic as a whole. We got to do something about the court storms, guys. I don't know why institutions aren't ready for it. Like, what did you think was going to happen if they won? Like, spread the word. Spread the word before somebody gets hurt. You know, a student from Nebraska should be able to storm the court, right? Like, we're cool, but just like, get ready for it. That's what you're gonna do. So like, we're, we're struggling in our conference with that. We got, we have a, our freshmen, sophomore, and juniors have never lost a road game without a court storm. Think about that. So this isn't, think about that. Put that in your article, right? All right? Because someone's gonna get hurt. Someone's going to get hurt, and it's going to, it could be a student, could be one of Nebraska's guys, could be one of our guys, could be someone working the scores bench, could be anybody. But like, I don't know why people don't get ahead of it. All right, it's happened a lot, and it's just, I, I, I don't understand that. Well, they just, you know, you, you got to have order. You got to get a rope. You got to get police officers. You got to get people around and protect your own, protect us, protect them, protect the, you know, the fans. I don't know. I'm not a cop. I don't work security. I don't have a mustache. But we have to do something. No, 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 nothing happened. But it's just that something's going to happen. Like, you don't, that's not how you, you can't think through things like this. Something's going to happen. So that is Matt Painter ticked off. My suggestion, fellas, just don't lose. I've heard this argument for years. Yeah, Matt Painter clearly hates fun. I've heard this argument for years. Something's going to happen. I've still yet to see anything happen. I mean, in the NFL, you had that one fan who got punched who deserved it, but like, you get fined in, in college football. This is interesting. I have a dueling opinion. We could get to it on yeah, the other yeah, side. It's next, great. we'll get there. Hail Varsity. Winding down hour one, 489-1240. Evan Bland coming up. Mark Manning, Husker Wrestling at 525. And now. And now, back to Hail Varsity Radio. Winding down this first hour, it's Hail Varsity, powered by Cornhead Lager, Chris Schmidt, Elijah. Herbal and Connor Clark, reminder about your friends at the NDOT Highway Safety Office. One of every three fatal crashes in Nebraska involves an impaired driver. Why take chances if you drink or use other substances? Don't drive. Impaired driving is deceptively dangerous. A message from the NDOT Highway Safety Office. Okay, we were talking court storming. We've talked a little bit here about Saban stepping down in Alabama. Um, uh, One... Uh, kind of equals the other as far as the amount of bodies 
that want to take that gig, uh, and some just don't want to to dance with it at all. Uh, I'm going to stay in my seat, Elijah. I'm not going to get down in the mosh pit. I have no interest in following a legend like Nick Saban. That's some mindset. It's not a competitive mindset, but it is a large shadow. What were you going to say about uh, Painter and uh, his frustration? Three times his uh, kids have been court-rushed. Well, I, maybe this is a little bit of a bias thing for me because I think Matt Painter is one of the best coaches in the country. He's one of my favorite, personally. And when you think about it, and again, I wasn't there last night, so you guys could talk to it, at least security-wise, better than I could. But the thing he said about the freshmen, sophomores, and juniors have not experienced a road loss that doesn't feature a court storming, regardless of the number, is absurd. I mean, that is just a ridiculous stat. Just proves how good they are, right? So the more times it happens to you, I understand the concern because, I mean, this is like a regular thing now with Purdue basketball just because they're so good and then a team like Nebraska or Northwestern twice beats them. And maybe the Northwestern thing is a little more dangerous because Welsh Ryan Arena is a lot more compact. It's a lot more on top of the court than Pinnacle Bank is. So maybe that's where he's coming from. But I understand his point of view. Again, I di- it didn't really look like on TV there was anything super unsafe about it. And again, you guys have said that security did a, a solid job on it anyway. But when it happens to you that often, I can understand why you're concerned about the way that it's handled at some places. Not every place, but at some places. That's fair. That's fair, but it's no fun. <laughs> no, I agree. I, 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 and I'm Elijah, saying, you like, were. The, we should be able to storm the court. I think the school should and, and, totally and be able to storm the court. And he said that, students. Yes. But you, I, had, I, you had all genres of Husker basketball fan, all ages funny, from everywhere. Well, the funniest students thing I saw there. was like, student, uh, this class isn't in session right now, so this is all huddle employees out there on the court right now. <laughs> <laughs> Which is good for, you know, you're, you're, there with, you're there with your dad, and you've grown up watching the Nebraska basketball, and, and you're smiling about uh, this. Full, I, think, full I think it's a Welsh Ryan Arena thing, since it's happened to them twice there. And again, if you've never been in that building, it's 7,000 people. You're right on top of the court. There's like way less room between sideline and stands than there is a pinnacle. I think it's. I think it has something to do with that. And full credit to Husker fans for how, I mean, honestly, for a court storming. It was organized last night. It was safe. Matt Painter wasn't really in the melee. I only had to punch one Purdue player to get my way down there. So, <laughs> wow, sarcasm. There it is. Someone's sarcasm, a little, clearly. little, little angry. Um, uh, Matthew checks in on the stream. He says Kirby to Bama, Urban to Georgia. <laughs> Mike asks a great question. How much input does Saban have on selecting his successor? It's interesting because Bill Byrne uh, wanted to make the pick. Once T.O. stepped down, T.O.'s like, no, I get to pick, and it's Frank. Well, his son uh, is the AD at Alabama, Bill Burns' son. Uh, Hour two, coming up here, Evan Bland next. The voice of Husker Nation is on the air. This is Hale Varsity Radio. Insight, opinion, expertise, along with the biggest names talking Nebraska sports. Join in with the show at 402-489-1240 or 1-800-825-5865. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt and Elijah Herbal. Back with you, Tower 2 at Tail City, powered by Cornhead Lager. Our dear friend Mike Schaefer posting a 
picture of Coach O. That's his vote. <laughs> Taking over Bama. Instead of saying, go Tigers, he goes, they're all tied. I like Brian Ferentz more still. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, I like Evan Bland. Love what he does when it comes to coverage in Nebraska football, Husker baseball. Omaha World Herald, where you find Evan at Evan Bland, O-W-H, on Twitter. Evan, nothing to see here. No news today between Husker basketball, a portal edition for the Big Red, and oh yeah, Coach Saban, how are you? Wow. Yeah, our, our pets' heads are falling off as well. I don't know how we're going to cope. <laughs> Such a good line in the movie. Uh, I want to start with, um, well, I want to start with with college football slash just football coaches. Uh, Did you believe 2024 would bring us uh, Nick Saban retiring, Pete Carroll stepping down? We don't know for sure about Bill Belichick, but but Vrabel uh, and, uh, of course, Jim Harbaugh. I mean, those are some names that, that could be on the move or... Could be finding a rocking chair uh, and that domino effect. DeBoer, Sweeney, Lanning are, are, are some hot names right now. Of course, Coach Rule's always been a popular name as well, not necessarily in this cycle or with these openings, but who's to say you wouldn't kick tires? Uh, what a what an earthquake uh, 2024 has given us for the college football and some NFL openings. Yeah, no doubt. It's it's really amazing. I mean, you think all those names that you threw out there, Belichick, maybe the greatest in NFL history, certainly what Saban's done. And, you know, I, what I think is interesting is this is just the start, right? Like this, there's going to be so many dominoes that fall from this. Who does Alabama get? And then who fills that power five job that comes open? And how does that all sort of backfill, um, you know, its way through? And, and, you know, some of it is is probably age-related. I mean, Saban's in his 70s. I think Bill Belichick's in the same general window. Some of it, I think, too, though, is you think how much the sport's changed since those coaches in particular got into it back in the day. I mean, with all the things that are going on now, the attention, the money, the NIL, the transfer portal at the college level, like you see a lot of – Coaches, uh, you know, at some point kind of saying, look, this is a a 12-month-a-year, 365-day-a-year sort of job, and it didn't used to be that way, but it's that way now. And, like, the level of commitment that it takes to achieve greatness now uh, is so high. I mean, it's it's, so it's just remarkable, the the wins and just the consistency that – guys like Belichick and Saban have had. Um, and so, yeah, uh, you, you certainly salute what they've done and you wonder how anyone can ever live up to it and who it's going to be moving forward. I don't, I certainly don't envy whoever that next person is at Alabama because, uh, you know, Nebraska fans can tell you when the great one steps out, it's really hard to live up to that. So I think that'll be fascinating to follow. Yeah, Evan, that will be fascinating. You mentioned the, the domino effect that could potentially happen. Maybe, though, they don't go poach another head coach. And no, I'm not going Brian Ferentz here. Urban Meyer, though, I think piques a lot of people's interest. It sounded like he's wanting to get back into coaching. We will see where the tide goes. And why not land in Alabama where uh, presumably my roster's awesome despite the fact that you've had a ton of portal uh, options or, or portal um, uh, players, departures, thank you, right after you lost to Michigan and now what you just signed 
there's 30 days those kids can leave as well. Yep. So we'll, we'll see. Ur- Urban walks into a lot of good situations, though. So Bama doesn't have a lot of time here. I think they have to act quickly in order to protect their roster. We'll, we'll see where they go. That'll be interesting to follow, Evan. But let's switch gears here, talk some Husker football, the news of the day. Mazuka, the Florida offensive line transfer. This came a little bit out of nowhere. I, I don't think his name had been floated around all that much, but today he announced on Twitter that he will be attending the University of Nebraska next season, presumably going to take one of those starting guard spots. I want to get your reaction to this. A year after Nebraska swung in a mist on Mazuka, they get him back in the boat via the transfer portal. You know, I think in the short history of the portal and certainly in the kind of free transfer era, like this, this might be the most out-of-the-blue positive portal news that Nebraska's had from a player from another school, uh, in part because he never did make an official visit this this cycle. He did last cycle when he almost chose Nebraska and ended up picking Florida, but there was no real rumblings externally that uh, he was even thinking about Nebraska this time around. And I I spoke with his dad a little earlier, and they said their circumstance was such that until the NCAA last month, brought down that ruling that multi-time transfers who were not grad transfers uh, could move around and still be eligible next season elsewhere, they were all set to go to the NFL and figure out the next level from there. And so, I mean, what a turn of events that 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 ruling came down, that Nebraska had an in in terms of the coaching staff that recruited him to Baylor out of high school in Pennsylvania, that his brother, Maurice, is a walk-on running back on the roster. So, I mean, it all lined up perfectly. And, oh, by the way, he's been a multi-year starter at guard where Nebraska just happens to have some pressing need. With uh, Nuri Nwili gone at right guard, he moves on. Ethan Piper may or may not be back. He was the left guard starter all year, so Mazuka can play either one of those spots. He's got one year left, uh, immediately provides a boost to that line next year. So uh, really fortuitous turn of events for Nebraska. You know, you talk about um, – you know, luck being sort of that intersection of of, of being prepared and, and having that right opportunity, and this is just that for Nebraska. So big news. Maybe it kind of gets lost in the news cycle with what's going on with basketball and, and the sport, you know, college football at a national level, but that really big development for Nebraska, just as big as any portal ads they've had this cycle. Evan, what's a really early grade that you would give Matt Rule's transfer class this offseason? Well, you got to go on quality, right? Not quantity with just the the four to this point, but, um, you know, you either go developmental or you go immediate need. And I think Bly Hill probably qualifies in the former category. They like him more long-term and don't need him to step in right away. But this January uh, stretch of additions, I would say, I mean, it's, it's, it's solid B B plus probably uh, at this point, just with, Nayor is somebody who can step in as a big play threat at receiver right away. Uh, Dowdell, certainly the Oregon transfer running back, is somebody who has all the ability to come in with three years left and be an impact uh, starter or, or playmaker right away. And then uh, clearly Mazuka is someone who you've got to feel good about being a, a factor and a starter on that interior moving forward. So, you, know, you look at what held Nebraska back last season. Um, clearly, the offense was a part of that. You address seemingly the quarterback situation through the addition of D- Dylan Raiola and, and Daniel Kalen, and now in the portal, you've seen them go out and 
uh, augment some of the skill spots and now Mazuka. So um, the numbers were such that Nebraska was never going to add a big chunk of transfers the way that they had the last couple of years. But I think just the quality and the spots that they've addressed, I'd give it a solid B+. And, and Evan, can you talk for a second about the splash of going and getting a guy like Mazuka, uh, an 11-game starter last year from a Power 5 program, Florida, I mean, it just feels optically like a big deal. It might not be the same need that Nebraska had at wide receiver along the offensive line. They had some younger guys that were probably ready to step up next year. But optically, this feels like a big deal that Nebraska is able to go steal a starter in an important spot from a school like Florida. Absolutely. And it's a big deal because you just don't – you can't count on adding quality offensive linemen from the portal. You can't do it. Like, if you want to – uh, find a receiver or defensive back or even a running back like you can probably do that in the portal but the numbers will tell you like if you're a quality o lineman in there you're going to get offers from all over the place and there just aren't that many big bodied guys that want to look around and go elsewhere and so I mean Nebraska absolutely found that and R- Matt Rule said it before like even if you don't have room you make room for alignment on the offensive side or the defensive side. And I think that's kind of the case here. Like they already had sort of a scholarship crunch. Uh, but if, if your circumstances line up the way that they did for Mizuki, you have to add somebody like that, bring him in. And again, he could have gone all over the country. He took visits this cycle to Arkansas, to Syracuse, uh, you know, if he had expressed interest in just about any school, I think that's a guy that you make room for. And so, Nebraska again to have that in with him previously and to have the need uh, and for that thing to develop late here with classes starting in uh, just over a week I mean it's, it's it's a perfect scenario for Nebraska and it absolutely improves their outlook on offense next season. Evan Bland with us here Omaha World Herald talking Nebraska in the portal the world of college football Hail Varsity Radio at Evan Bland OWH uh, on Twitter is where you find him. Evan, uh, timeline for Jamal Banks, question one, question two. What do you believe uh, about Nebraska and Dana Holgerson? Well, Banks, I, you know, I've exchanged a couple messages with him, and I think he's still kind of sorting some things out. I would expect in the next couple of days, maybe by this weekend, I mean, he understands that there's – a timeline to this thing, again, with UNL classes starting on the 22nd, you can't delay it too long. But I know Michigan was interested. He's checked out places like Notre Dame and Wisconsin and Purdue. And so uh, he's he's got a lot of pros and cons to lay out there. I know he did enjoy his trip to Nebraska. And, uh, you know, it, they spell it out to him just like we all know. Like, there's opportunity on that offense. So uh, I think Nebraska is still very much in the mix there. So, again, we'll see pretty quickly how that turns out. And then, you know, Holgerson, it's been pretty quiet since uh, the news broke last weekend that he was in town and talking with Nebraska. I, I still find it interesting, uh, just given his sort of worldview offensively coming from the Mike Leach air raid system, uh, that he would necessarily be a, a perfect match for Nebraska and what it has said it wants to do as a pro-style offense and, and more pounding the ground game and that sort of thing. So, you know, again, it, it, just because they're talking doesn't necessarily mean that he would be the quarterback's coach. I think it's possible it could be as an analyst sort of position as well. But I do think just the fact that they've had the conversation with a guy like Holgerson does say that Matt Rule in Nebraska 
um, are being pretty open-minded about who's out there, about what direction this offense can go as they try to find the best resources to develop Dylan Raiola and, and get this offense back on track. Evan, going back to last night, let's switch it over to Husker basketball here real quick. Your just reaction of last night's game, what Nebraska was able to put together, and quite the resume builder when we're talking about that bubble come March. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what a night for that team, for the program at large, to do that at home against a team like Purdue that's a bona fide Final Four contender. I mean, just really impressive from the top down. I think it showcased a lot of what Nebraska felt like it addressed in the offseason. I mean, it hit three-pointers at a strong clip. We saw contributions from all over the place, from different shooters, from you know, Rink Mass to defensively to Bryce Williams to – um, you know, Sam Hoiberg with a couple of steals and scores. Those are those were key momentum plays too. And you know, the other thing I, I thought big picture guys was like I was trying to think the last time there was so much joy across so many teams in the athletic department. I mean, what men's and women's basketball is doing. I, there's clear optimism for football. Obviously, what volleyball's done. Women's soccer was in the elite eight. Uh, you know, softball with Jordy Ball coming in, the track and field teams. I think people are excited about baseball. Like, there's just there's so much positivity within the athletic department, and for basketball to get that number one win at home, uh, it just really adds to the momentum. You have Matt Rule on hand, so it just it feels like the synergy within that department is as high as it's been, maybe in the Big Ten era, maybe since before that. Um, but a really cool moment for the program, really cool moment for those who were in attendance, and I, I think it just adds to the excitement about what the ceiling could be for the next couple of months. Evan, we'll wrap with this. Evan Bland, Omaha World Herald with us. Okay, you saw a future Big Ten team Monday. You saw the old guard in Michigan uh, ground and pound, and they were incredible in the trenches, as good as advertised. Uh, A, uh, with Michigan, um, how do you view their championship? B, uh, when you, what you saw Washington, how do you think they translate to the Big Ten? Well, the Washington part's uh, interesting. Like the, I think that the sort of the school of thought going into the championship game was if Michigan continued to ground and pound, would Washington be able to hold up? And the answer was no. And and kind of in a weird way, it kind of was the reverse, where they couldn't uh, stop them early, and then they sort of settled in a little bit later. But I think that's it. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Nebraska's transition when it went to the to the Big Ten, you know, a decade ago. It just it was designed defensively to stop spread offenses and, and, and these high-scoring shootouts, uh, it's going to be a different animal when you're facing teams like Michigan or Minnesota or, or whomever um, week in and week out in the Big Ten. So I think that will probably be the biggest uh, adjustment that they're going to have to make moving forward is how do you stop the run, how do you hold up in your front seven so you're not exposed to the, to the extent that they were in the national title game. You know, Michigan – such a complex situation. I mean, it's it's clearly documented that they broke the rules with the sign stealing. Uh, I, I think ultimately they didn't need to, right? Like I, they were going to beat those teams that they beat early in the season, I think, regardless. And then after the counter stallion stuff broke out, they were just as dominant quite honestly in the second half and uh, to beat Alabama the way they did to, to, to roll Washington, I think in sort of the no doubt second half fashion that they did, leaves little doubt that they 
you know, the, that they earned it on the field. Um, but I, I understand the frustration. I understand, um, you know, the fact that there need to be consequences for breaking the rules as well. And I think ultimately, big picture, hopefully what it spurs on is uh, a move to modern technology in terms of uh you know, mics and helmets and things like that to be able to relay plays. So hopefully stuff like this uh, is not part of the sport moving forward. Evan, great stuff. Thanks for the time today. Thanks, guys. All right. Mark Manning on the way with Hale Varsity. Hale Varsity Radio is live. Now, back to Schmitty. Schmitty's a great guy, but he don't have a brain. And Elijah. You want me to speak? When I point you, yeah. On Hale Varsity Radio. Well, the countdown is on for Friday. It is Nebraska. It is Iowa. It is wrestling. It is head coach Mark Manning. Husker wrestling with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. Coach, how we doing? Were you at the? Uh, well, were you at PBA last night? Were you? Were you? Uh, were you storming the court, Coach? <laughs> I didn't storm the court, Chris. Hey, thanks for having us on. But uh, me and my family were watching it and uh, on Peacock, and it it was great, man. So happy for Fred and his staff. They do a great job and uh, really happy for the players. I saw them today, a bunch of them, they were in the weight room, and I congratulated them. And, hey, they say, hey, more's coming. So I love it. Well, it's just been a really good uh, time with Nebraska Athletics, and your team is phenomenal, and the work you guys put in, incredible. Uh, I want to go back to, to Saturday, Coach Manning and – Start with, uh, with with Polar Bear, with Nash. Big win for him against uh, Wyoming Saturday. How big a deal was it, not just for him, but for the team? Yeah, it, it, this this thing is, uh, one, it's incredible. His, Nash's commitment um, and how, how we, how we come, came about getting Nash uh, to come out and join us. And he, he was, he was really excited that we that we wanted him to come out and um, and Coach Rule and his staff, Coach Knighton, they were they were terrific. They were all about Nash, you know, coming out, making the commitment, wrestling, seeing if he could do it. We, you know, he he had to shave forty five pounds, and and he joined our team December fourth, made two eighty five, and January sixth. That in itself is an is accomplishment, and. Just getting in, getting in the wrestling shape he is right now, um, you know, took took a, it it took him to be a tough man, and uh, that's what you have in Nash. He's a competitor. We knew that, and um, it, it, it's just a great story to see a young kid. Um, you know, I call him young, but <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, you know he's got another year of college football to play, and. And who knows from there? And, uh, you know, his aspirations are NFL. And I, I told Nash, hey, if you do this thing, um, you know, this is going to take a lot of work to, to you know, it's, you're not wrestling Class B in Chamberlain, South Dakota anymore. It's, it's Division One big boy wrestling. And so it, it's just really cool, Chris, really cool to see him accomplish it. And I think if – if general managers have a half a half a sense, they'll take a chance on this guy next year because not only as a football player, just as a person, he's he's going to add value to their team, and that's what he do he's doing for us. Coach, obviously this this came together this fall, 
But when did you first want Nash to be a part of the wrestling team? And then tell us a little bit about that that story of how it actually came together here a little over a month ago. Actually, Coach Rule and I got together. Uh, it really was just to talk about you know, just talk about coaching and and uh, there about three or four days before the Iowa. Coach, we lose you. What if he? What if he came out for wrestling? Right, and and we were laughing about, you know, he's he's three thirty. I said, you know, he's got to make two eighty five. I don't even know if he could do that, you know. And uh, Coach Rule said, man, it'd be really cool if he did. Really, we didn't even think about it. Uh, Coach, we got you. Las Vegas for the Las Vegas Invitational tournament. Um, you know, I reached out to Coach Rule. Said, hey, you know what? What if I reached out to Nash? Uh, see if he would want to do it, and, and he was all on board. And Coach Knighton was all on board, and then I reached out to Nash, and he he said, "Coach, can I can I talk to my coaches?" Well, I already knew the answer there, and then he said, "I'll talk over with my family, and I'll get back to you." And next day, he called and said, "I'm in," and uh, you know he's he's been nothing but all in since since he told me that, and that's just how he operates. It's uh. You know, it's great. Now, I wasn't surprised by the result. I, you know, you never know what you're going to get, but, um, you know, he really controlled the anxiety. And, you know, wrestling's a one-on-one battle, and so he, uh, he had a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, pressure on him, you know, to, just to, to do well and, you know, anxiety of you never wrestled a college match in your life. And so, you know, there's a lot there for that young man to, to really compartmentalize and, he handled like a pro, and, you know, it's going to help him moving forward. Mark Manning's with us, Hale Varsity Radio, Huskers and Iowa Friday, Bob DeVetti, Sports Center. Coach, I want to shift to the matchup and some big matchups, uh, kind of run down uh, what you can and can share with us about Friday night, your excitement level and just the, the challenge. Yeah, you know, I think uh, – you know Iowa's got a terrific program. They've they've been dominant for for the last fifty years in college wrestling. You know from Dan Gable to Jimmy Zaleski, and then the Brands brothers running running the ship. They're you know they're just they're tough. They're tough. They're physical. They're they're what wrestling's all about. And so you know we think we have a great team, and we're we're, we're going to find out on Friday night. I think we have just good matchups. We're starting at one twenty five with Caleb Smith. You know he's got a, got to wrestle Iowa Drake Iowa. He's a very accomplished wrestler. So you know just getting started off right, I think will really help the Huskers. And then just up down the lineup, Jacob Bandy at 133, and um, you know Brock Hardy is going to wrestle the number one guy at 141. Um, he Real Woods is his name, and he's a Big Ten champ. Beat Brock in a really tight match. Well, I actually beat Brock a couple times last year in really tight matches, and so, you know, it's that's a, that's a big one for us to 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 try to flip. And then we have Ridge Lovett, and we have Peyton Robb, and he's going to wrestle a couple all time All American and and Jared Frantic at from Iowa. So they they've wrestled a lot of times, and then you know Antrell Taylor at 165 is wrestling All American Caliendo from Iowa, who's a transfer kid. Um, 
And then we have Bubba Wilson at 174. And we have the the most popular guy, one of the most popular guys, I would say, Lenny Pinto. He's just uh, – he, he, he was banged up last week, uh, Chris, mm-hmm. in our two duels. Um, but – but he's uh, doing well this week, and he's back from a little little dinged up shoulder. But um, he, you know, who, I'm not sure who I will put out there. I think they're they're uh, they're trying to be sneaky a little bit. <laughs> and then at 197, we have Silas Allred, and uh, we feel great about Silas right now. He's wrestling really well, and then we're we're gonna bring bring it home with the big the big polar bear man. Polar bear is gonna hit the mat. And maybe maybe bring us home a victory uh, on Friday night. So you're not being sneaky. You're, you're saying it now. Polar, polar bear is be the guy. Oh, polar bear is going to be wrestling on Friday night. Love it, coach. Love it. Tell me really quickly here before we get you out. The advantage of not having to go to, to Carver Hawkeye to go wrestle. That's a tough, tough place. They fill it up for wrestling. Instead, you're going to be at home and with. Nash Hutmacher on the mat in the, the, the star-studded lineup. You can assume that All sorts of red show up to lots of red. Going to be at the Devaney Center on Friday night. Tell me about that that home mat advantage. Yes, it, it, it's a big advantage. You know, you you know, fans might say, "Well, you know, hey, it doesn't really matter." But when you wrestle at Carver Hawkeye Arena, fifteen thousand, uh, and they're maniacs. I'm talking about they're the. <laughs> They're the most passionate fan base. Uh, it, it, it's just a different animal. I'm just telling you, it's it's like no other, uh, you know, wrestling environment. Just because they're just gung ho, and you know, it's it's a tough environment to win. And so, uh, you know, you're taking 18 to 20, 23 year old kids in that environment. It's it's tough. You say, well, it's just a wrestling match, but it's it's uh. You know, they, they don't get beat much there. And so uh, we, we love it being in the Bob Devaney this year. So uh, we're, we, we want to take advantage of that from our side. Coach, as we wind down, Mark Manning with us, Nebraska Wrestling, Iowa. Uh, the countdown uh, on uh, Huskers.com, two days, 55 minutes. In five seconds, as we report, <laughs> I love it. We uh, we get ready, uh, Coach. Uh, let us know the polar bear is going to be in action Friday night. But just a word to uh, you mentioned uh, the home mat advantage uh, that Elijah asked you about. But just tell me about your your culture and and what you instill in the young men that you recruit and bring in. And just a thought here globally: the responsibility you take as as head coach. What you you try and pass on to the team and the kids you keep bringing in. Yeah, that's great, Chris. I uh, I love our culture and it's really built on. And you walk in our wrestling room, it's it's built on attitude, effort, always. Attitude is is speaks for itself. You have to have the right mental approach, and you have to have you know, you, you it's got to be important to you. So we look for kids that wrestling's important. It's important for us coaches. So you, when you have a good, uh, you know, when things line up, they're excited about the sport and they love the sport. They're going to put time in it to get better. And you, as a coach, have that approach. Then that's when you have magic can happen. You know, guys can become all Americans and and they're going to be great student athletes and they're going to represent their team. And and then you know they have to be. They have to have a great work ethic. You know, there's 
a lot of guys that we passed on that been really talented, but they just we know from one reason or the other we've done our research. They they're not hard workers. That those guys aren't probably in our wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. And then you know it, it have, they have to be consistent, can be consistent performers. You know you 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 have to be able to perform in the practice room. You got to be able to give the in output that that we would like and that effort and that extra that extra magic that you have to have to to win at this level and so that's that's kind of our culture that's what we built on but there's a lot of things we look for in recruiting but you know attitude and their effort is is number one and number two Mark Manning, head coach, Nebraska Wrestling, the showdown with Iowa. Get to the Bob Devaney Sports Center Friday, 630. Uh, Polar Bear going to be in action, uh, throwing that heavy weight around. And uh, what a lineup, what a team Coach Manning's put together year after year after year. Coach, looking forward to it Friday. Thank you so much for giving us a few minutes. Oh, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Go Big Red. Coach, you take care. Appreciate you. There he is, Mark Manning, with us and uh, letting us know uh, what's happening on Nebraska Wrestling. Busy day. We'll continue on with Hale Varsity Radio. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Back at you, it's Hale Varsity Radio. Time for a Jock Doc Wednesday. Nebraska Orthopedic Center, Dr. Brandon Seifert is with us. Dr. Brandon, how are the Rays, brother? Yeah, they're pretty nice, man. They are pretty nice. You bet. How's life? How's life for y'all back there? It's uh, a seven-degree wind chill. We'll just leave it there. Oh, that's brutal. That it's, is brutal. It's not a seven-degree wind chill where you're at. <laughs> a little warmer here. Yep, a little warmer. Well, let's talk NBA for a moment. Uh, John Morant uh, of the Grizzlies, standout ball player, incredible talent. But he just can't seem to uh, seem to stay on the court. Last year it was the the flashing guns on Instagram Live. Now it's yeah. injury concern. That's a different type of injury potentially. <laughs> this is season-ending injury. Is he had a subluxation of his right shoulder during a training session? Doctor Brandon, the MRI revealed they. Uh, labral tear. We talk a lot of labral issues, la- lab- labrum issues, but uh, not necessarily in basketball, do we? No, not really. It's not all that common in basketball, at least you know, not that you hear about. And obviously, I see a ton of these uh, in a variety of athletes. Uh, I would say you know, less common in our basketball players. Not unheard of, but less common. Uh, but, you know, as we talked about these before, you know, thinking about these anatomically, so dealing with the shoulder, the shoulder is a ball and socket joint. On the socket side of the shoulder, that's called the glenoid. And then there is a ring structure that sits around the socket, kind of like a rubber gasket called a labrum. It deepens the socket and acts as kind of a stabilizer for the ball portion. And so typically with these, you know, you can have tears in that labrum kind of all the way around the ring that results in kind of different symptoms, different pathology. The most common of which that we see is we start to have patients complain of you know, shoulder being loose, instability, subluxation, or full-on kind of dislocation. And those predominantly occur to the front of the shoulder. So in orthopedic terms, we call that the anterior aspect of the shoulder. So when your shoulder dislocates, typically it goes out the front towards the bottom. Um, and that's probably what he's dealing with in this scenario. Obviously, you can have tearing in the back of the labrum and be unstable towards the back. But we tend to see those more in kind of our football wrestling type athletes. Um, 
but again, you can see them in you know basketball and football together. But that's typically the scenario that uh, he's in. It's hard to say with this, you know, how long he's had this. My guess is that if they're thinking surgery at this point, is he's probably been battling this for a while. Would be my guess. So the thought is that the the labrum tear happened before the subluxation of the shoulder. Probably happened somewhere along the way where he basically that ball portion kind of rode up on on the top of that kind of rim of labrum and it starts to slowly kind of peel that off. You know, either you'll have one kind of traumatic event here where you have one kind of full-on big dislocation kind of tears off the whole labrum, and then as that heals back, it heals back at a lower level and you're kind of less protected from that ball going forward. And then over time, just repeatedly, that gets worse and worse. Um, and so my thought for him, just kind of based on the describing it, he's probably had subtle events here where that ball portion has just kind of subtly started slipping out, kind of wearing on that label, and then just gradually, gently probably peeled off that labrum over time. Dr. Brandon, let's talk about recovery, procedure recovery, and then how it uh, could linger with Morant's return to, to form. He's been incredible when he's been healthy. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I think there's a very high chance he'll get back to a really high level. Um, you know, should have a pretty high chance of returning back to the same level or higher, um, especially in the sense that he's not a throwing athlete, kind of a different perspective for them. Um, but from the treatment perspective on this, and the goal is to basically sew that labrum back down on top of the glenoid or the socket. We have a variety of techniques for that. Most commonly are using these things called anchors, which are these little uh, sutures or plastic screws that we put into the bone and coming out the back of those is suture material. And then we pass that to the torn labrum, and that basically cinches that down on top of the uh, glenoid, which is the bony part, and then the labrum heals back to it over time. It's an arthroscopic procedure, um, has really high success rates. You know, the biggest thing you worry about with any of these type of, you know, instability type cases would be, you know, redeveloping instability. You know, for example, you're playing football, and you have one of these procedures done, you go back out of the football field and some big fullback runs into you, then obviously that could tear through those sutures and re-injure yourself. Basketball, a little less chance of that happening. Uh, but still enough that you do worry about you know, a recurrent kind of instability picture showing up in him down the road. So specifically, it's you said it's they're stitching this back together. I mean, what does that look like in terms of the recovery process following the surgery? I assume the arm is going to be in a sling for a little bit, but is there any physical therapy that's going to be needed with that here in the next couple of months? Yeah, great question. So, you know, typically after these, you'll be in a sling with one of those pillows for about six weeks. Uh, sometimes you get more aggressive and take it off at four. And essentially, you're not really allowed to do active motion where you're kind of moving it yourself. You do passive motion, which we start therapy right away with these. We're pretty aggressive with it. So typically within you know, a couple of days to a week, you'll start physical therapy on these. Um, and that's how that goes. And in terms of long-term recovery, so six-week sling comes off, and you're just kind of doing some gentle active strengthening at that point. We don't really start any real more aggressive strengthening until you get about three or four months down the road. And then the variability comes, uh, you know, how quickly do let them return back to contact? I would say the minimum is about four and a half months. Sometimes we go longer, maybe five or six months. Uh, but you kind of hit that four and a half month mark, five month mark, and you kind of turn used to really hit the weight room hard. And then if they can have another, oh, anywhere from four to eight weeks of really hard kind of weight room time, workout time to kind of get back to competition shape, that's kind of the ideal scenario for these, at least in these kind of athletes. The game changes, obviously, it's more of a feeling athlete in terms of your recovery. And Dr. Brand, with Ja, he's a, a right-handed shooter. This is the right shoulder. Is he going to have to start holding his gun in the left hand now? Jeez. 
might have to change the pose for the picture. <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't aware of that. That's uh, kind of an interesting story. That was last year, huh? Uh huh. Yeah, multiple times, multiple times. Even after uh, being uh, punished, he continued brandishing guns on his Instagram live. So you can't do that, John Morant. Okay. Duly, duly noted. Uh, that is conduct detrimental to the league. Yeah, I, I would say. Uh, okay. How how detrimental is this to his outside game? And is it going to not going to say shooting? Huh? No. Is, is, <laughs> well, yeah. Is, Careful. Yeah. His outside game, and and also is is he going to be thinking about it, Doctor Brandon, when he gets to the rim, when he makes a move? To the rim and finishing around the rim, it's super physical. Even in today's NBA, not as physical, but you still take bumps and bruises when you do go uh, to the tin. Yeah, no, absolutely, Chris. I think, you know, outside shooting, uh, probably not a huge issue for him. I think that'll come back nice and smooth. I think that technique for him will be pretty easy to redevelop. Um, you're right, though. As you start to go to the rim, there's going to be some hesitancy there. So I definitely see uh, a little while just kind of regaining that confidence piece to go back and be able to do that well. Uh, but in the end, I still think he'll do that well. But that's obviously the area where you know he put himself most at risk for you know, some type of re-injury event. Last thought here, Dr. Brandon. It's expected he's going to be out till the start of next season. How does that timetable for recovery strike you that he's uh, probably not going to be back on the basketball court until next October? Well, he, he could be in terms, of, uh, in terms of practice, but in terms of ready for game action next October. Is that timetable about right? Yeah, I think that timetable is just perfect. You, know, you figure if you're going to give him that four and a half, five months of kind of getting back into shape mode, I mean, that puts us all the way back in the you know, June, July season done. So, yeah, yeah, he should be ready. To, he should look really good by the time October comes around, and he should get plenty of basketball to need in the summer. I'm sure he'll probably be kind of fully released to do everything, I'm guessing, around July or August, if not sooner. Dr. Brandon Seifert with this Nebraska Orthopedic Center at Jock Doc Wednesday. John Morant, our topic. Dr. Brandon, you take care and enjoy. We'll check in again soon. Okay, fellas. Take care. Good stuff with Dr. Brandon Seifert, Nebraska Orthopedic Center. We'll wind down a Wednesday. Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, where you find us with Hale Varsity Radio. Subscribe, download Hale Varsity YouTube channel. We'll say goodbye next. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. One final time, it's Hale Varsity. We're powered by Cornhead Lager. Awesome stuff. Mark Manning, Nebraska Wrestling. Uh, able to preview Nebraska, Iowa. Let the uh, world know that Nash is going on Friday at the Devaney Center with the heavyweight round. Excited there. Incredible stuff earlier from Evan Bland, Mike Babcock, and what a um, well buffet table of sports and Nebraska still. Uh, feeling good about the win over Purdue. Plenty there as we kicked off things with uh, KP and Jake Mielheisen's greatest hits from last night. Uh, that was big time. Plenty of football news with Nebraska getting a plug-and-play offensive lineman at guard. And then, oh, yeah, uh, you have the news and Nick Saban stepping down. We'll play a fun game tomorrow uh, and, and help our friends down in SEC country with Alabama. Some some suggestions we have. 489-1240 numbers to get in uh, if you want to squeeze in. Buyouts are pretty extraordinary. Elijah and Connor for Dan Lanning. Uh, there are also uh, a lot of agents out there uh, kind of rubbing their hands together with a big old smile. As big a smile as you had last night on the floor as a Nebraska fan rushing the floor. 
these college football coaching agents, they are smiling too. Because even if my guy doesn't get the job or get a phone call, well, the AD may have to pay to, to, to not worry about that. Well, money will not be an issue for Bama in this Never is. They no. will go get who they want to get regardless of the price tag. Uh, but, yeah, I, I do think some coaches, I think Lanning, maybe he will go to Bama. I don't know. Whenever that's Bama's top priority right off the bat, you go, oh, they're, they're going to get who they want. But I wouldn't be surprised if he just made the decision. If, if Oregon can match the offer that Alabama makes, I'll just stick around at Oregon. He's got a good thing going there, especially with them headed off to the Big Ten, knowing you can probably get some pretty big payouts down the road if you stay for five years mm-hmm. with the, the future Big Ten media rights deals. So uh, that's, that's a possibility. I don't know. But all I do know is that the buyout will not be an issue for Alabama and whoever they want to go hire. And maybe they don't need to go buyout. Maybe they go Urban Meyer. Maybe they go Frost. Maybe they go Ference. I think one of those is only the realistic possibility with Urban <laughs> Meyer. But um, I don't think money will be an issue for Bama in this coaching search. And I'd, I'd like to think that they likely already have a pretty good idea of who they're going to be hiring. I, I don't this think is not a bomb. This is not a bombshell to the, the folks. No. Uh, to Greg Byrne or those in uh, in the Alabama circle of trust. I don't think money's going to be an issue. I think we'll probably have a, a good idea of who the coach is going to be sooner rather than later. Does, does, Tommy Reese, who says no. Yeah, does, yeah, right. Does Saban, if there is an eventual college football czar, is he it? The old Bill Dolman take from last yeah, week. Yeah, and, and the, I mean, I think that's a brilliant take because Dolman's smart. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. That said... Uh, do you want these con- the, do the college football conference commissioners <laughs> kick up top? I mean, do they do they secede their power? Real quick about your friends uh, with the Omaha Supernovas, the first ever pro volleyball federation match coming up here January 24th against the Atlanta Vibe CHI Health Center. First serves at seven o'clock. Get your single match or season tickets. Supernovas. World-class volleyball. That includes NCAA national champions, All-Americans, Olympians, and uh, the volleyball movement sweeping across the country. Uh, The Major League Volleyball team in Omaha. Supernovas.com. Fellas, thanks for hanging out. Thank you in the stream. Thank you for listening. Back tomorrow on Hail Varsity. Hail Varsity YouTube. Hail Varsity Twitter. A Huda Media Production.